Today on Blue 58, the Packers are halfway through their regular season schedule, and it's time to take stock of a couple of things. How are our predictions doing? What stats should we be watching? And what does everybody think the Packers are going to do between now and the end of December? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Got a lot I want to cover on this show. Uh, It's nice to be back after a little bit of a mini-buy. The Packers, of course, played last Thursday, so that meant they have Sunday off. But between now and the end of the week, or end of the month, end of the year, there we got there, uh, we've got a lot of Packers football to go. And the second half of the season, I think, is going to be exciting. But before we get to the second half, I think we should take a second and look back at the first half. We've got a couple predictions I want to take a look at, see how we're doing on a few of them. Uh, going to check in on uh, the stats that we track at thepowersweep.com and also going to answer a few uh, listener questions that relate to how the Packers have done so far. Before we get to that stuff, a couple announcements I wanted to make. If you are a regular YouTube listener, I'm very sorry about the up, uh, late upload of the 49ers podcast. We again are having trouble with our podcast host and how that integrates into YouTube. They have no answers for why it happens this way. They continually blame it on YouTube. And when it comes to whose fault it is, it doesn't ultimately matter to me. But I kind of don't think it's the giant tech company that seems to have YouTube figured out pretty well. So we are actively exploring options for going a different direction there. I don't know if anything will happen. We may just have to ride it out. This may just be how it is. But I'm frustrated by it, and I'm sorry that that things have been this way. But look at it this way. You're going to get a couple episodes here back-to-back because the episode uh, from last Thursday finally uploaded uh, today, Tuesday afternoon, as I was preparing for this one, mysteriously went through as soon as I reached out to customer support for the upteenth time. Imagine that. And it's Google's fault. Anyway, that's neither here nor there that is coming to you. Second thing I wanted to mention is that if you are interested in Patreon-specific content, there is a new podcast out up there. Uh, For Patreon subscribers, we talk a little bit about running backs, about EPA, and then about um, some of my favorite Packers players from uh, throughout my time as a Packers fan. So if you're interested in that, $1 per month gets you into the Patreon club. Uh, It's a little bit of extra content, and it's a way for you to support the show and uh, everything that we do here because this this stuff isn't free, and um, it just, you know, it it is a good thing to do to support media that you care about. So if you like this show and want to have it keep going, um, that is a way that you can help us make sure we're able to continue doing that. And if we have to upgrade our podcast hosting, that is something that we will need that support for. Anyway, some predictions. Not predictions for the second half, but looking back at our predictions for the first half. One of, I, I don't love making predictions, but one of the, the most fun things to do in this entire ongoing experiment that is covering the Packers this way is taking a look at predictions at various points throughout the calendar year. At the beginning of training camp or around training camp time, we make predictions for the season. We review them at the end of the season, and I thought it would be good to take a, t- a second and check in on some of the predictions that we've made. Got a few that are have already come true. We've got a couple that are already wrong. We've got some that are looking good, that are on pace here, and a couple that are looking real bad. All right, so let's start at the very top. A couple that are that are already correct. I predicted that Jared Veld here would not play a snap for the Packers this year, and he has subsequently retired. He's not going to play for anybody at all. This is a very good problem for the Packers to have. They just 
couldn't find a place for Jared Veld here on their roster, even if they, they were interested in having him. They just don't need him on top of that uh, because of everything that they've tried on the offensive line has worked. Billy Turner has shown that he can play left tackle and right tackle and right guard, which is great. Uh, Rick Wagner has been a solid pickup at right tackle as well. Elton Jenkins can do everything that there is on the offensive line. Lucas Patrick has been a good uh, hole plugger in relief of Lane Taylor, who was great before he got hurt. And of course, Corey Lindsley just keeps to, to keeps humming along, being the, the great player that he has always seemingly been, just his normal, consistent self. So that one was correct. Uh, it was correct even more than I imagined it would be because my thinking was they just they just weren't going to sign him because they didn't want to pay him. And they had already paid Rick Wagner, so why would you bring back Jared Veld here? Turns out they need him even less than we could have imagined it, and that is a really good thing for the Packers. Second thing that we got right almost immediately out of the gate is that John Lovett, the practice squad fullback slash tight end slash probably emergency fourth-string quarterback, would be on the active roster at some point this season. And lo and behold, he ended up on the active roster in week one. And that's been kind of fun to watch. He hasn't been nearly as exciting as I think Josiah DeGuara would have been, but he's been at least an interesting prospect. And he is definitely a fullback. He's not a tight end, no matter what the Packers might have you believe on uh, on the roster sheet. A couple of things we've already been wrong about. Well, first and foremost, Tremont Williams is not going to be playing any games for the Packers this year. I thought at some point he would end up on the Packers roster, maybe down the stretch here, when they would need an additional defensive back. As it turns out, even between the time when I was prepping the show and now, he has gone off the market completely. He has signed with the Baltimore Ravens, which is probably a really good pickup for them, because if you just need a guy to play 40 snaps a game of reasonably good Defensive back play, Tremont Williams is probably your guy, and he's probably going to be that kind of guy for the next 10 to 15 years. I would not bet against 50-year-old Tremont Williams going out and giving somebody a dozen snaps um, in a random game and looking pretty okay doing it. It's mostly joking, I think, but, you know, you never know. A couple that are looking pretty good. Counting stats are going bananas for the Packers this year. One of the things I predicted at the start of the year was that Aaron Rodgers would throw for 30 or more touchdowns this year. He's been kind of on a downswing as far as touchdown totals the last couple of years, but he is very close to 30 already and will probably easily surpass that total this year. Also predicted that Devontae Adams would go over 1,000 yards, which has been kind of of an, an interesting hurdle for him to reach. He's He's had one 1,000-yard season and two seasons within three yards of 1,000 yards without going over, which is just crazy to think about, just the, the way that that has lined up. He's probably, looking at those, had 1,000-yard seasons wiped out by penalty. Uh, I'm just assuming that's true, like a 10-yard pass or a 5-yard catch or whatever, getting wiped away because of a holding penalty or something like that. It has to have happened. Um, but he's probably going to easily clear 1,000 yards so far this year. Aaron Jones, I thought he would go for more than 1,000 yards and fewer than 19 touchdowns, which is what he scored last year. It looks like he will still probably get to 1,000 yards if he can come back and and be pretty consistent over the last eight games of the season, Um, but we did kind of write an injury provision into, into predictions too. The bad predictions are the ones that I think are the most interesting. First, I predicted that rookies would start fewer than six games total this year. This is going to probably be broken by Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin together. Both of them have been 
I, I hesitate to use like the word revelation, but they've been pretty solid at inside linebacker. And it's probably not that it's saying a lot. This is probably the best inside linebacker group the Packers have had in quite a while. And as a result, they will probably end up starting more than six games total together. I also predicted that A.J. Dillon would end up outsnapping Jamal Williams this year. The thinking was down the stretch, A.J. Dillon gets integrated into the offense. Jamal Williams kinds of, kind of fades away as the Packers prepare to move on from him in the offseason. It has really not been the case. Jamal Williams is fairly entrenched in the offense, and it's really not clear what A.J. Dillon's role is at all, or even if he is a good fit for what the Packers are trying to do on offense. He doesn't seem particularly comfortable in the wide zone type scheme. He doesn't seem terribly natural as a receiver out of the backfield. This is not looking like a great pick here. It's eight games in. Yeah, sure, whatever. But still, um, it's not looking good for A.J. Dillon so far. This one is the funniest to me. I predicted that Jay Sternberger would lead the Packers tight ends in catches. I'm not thinking that's super likely anymore. Unless something terrible happens to to Bob Tunyon, I don't think Jay Sternberger is going to supplant him in the lineup. That may not be a good thing for the Packers overall, given that he was a third-round pick a year and a half ago. But uh, given how Tunyon is producing so far, I don't think anybody's really too broken up about it either. Now, you can do the opportunity cost and say, yeah, well, they could have picked somebody else in the third round. That is fair. That is true. But um, this is what we've got right now. And Sternberger is not going to lead the Packers tight ends in catches this year, it seems like. Finally, I predicted the Packers defense, and this is not a complete list of predictions, by the way, but these are just the ones that I thought were the most interesting. Predicted that the Packers defense would not be worse than 20th by DVOA. They are 21st currently. If they can't get above 20, I'm not saying they have to be a top 10 defense in the league, but if they can't get to like 14 to 16, at least middle of the pack, it's going to be the Packers undoing in the playoffs again. They need to at least show some signs of life. And as we transition to talking about some of the Packers stats that we track at thepowersweep.com, I think there is reason to be optimistic. We'll talk about that in just a second. There are a number of stats, as I said, that we track at thepowersweep.com. If you go to that very nice looking website, the homepage of which was recently redone, you can mouse over the stats tab at the very top and see all of the stats that we track, as well as a couple other interesting things, such as Packers polling and our Packers Wonderlick score database. But you can see all of the stats that we track uh, for, for you and for our own learning purposes. But uh, check those out. And we're going to talk through a couple takeaways um, from each of them so far this season. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers adjusted net yards per attempt tracker is my favorite one to update every week because you can really see where he is trending as a quarterback this season and within his career as a whole. Right now, he is playing well, but this tracker, looking back over the last four, eight, and 16 games, he really hasn't overcome all the inertia from last year's bad finish. So down the stretch last year, Aaron Rodgers' stats really kind of took a bit of a dive. He did not finish the year playing particularly well, but things are trending upward in just about every category for him so far this year. And his eight-game run right now, over the last eight games, his adjusted net yards per attempt as a passer is the highest it's been since the run-the-table period. He's at 8.84 adjusted net yards per attempt 
over the last eight games. So that's pretty good so far. And if that continues, he's going to end up having a season at least as good as his, his two MVP seasons so far. However, it really hasn't moved the needle over the last 16 games as a whole. He's holding steady at just over seven, which is basically where he's been uh, for the past two plus years or so since early 2018. So um, overall in pretty good shape, but and trending in the right direction still has not quite rid last year uh, from his stats though. Explosive plays. So explosive plays for our numbers are runs of 12 yards or more, 16 or or receptions of 16 yards or more. And the more explosive plays you get, the uh, the better your offense tends to do because they lead to scoring plays more often than not. So far this season, the Packers are on pace for their most explosive offense since 2014. They have 61 explosive plays through eight games, and Devontae Adams is on pace to post his second best total for a full season. It's going to be at 26 if his eight-game pace continues, and as you recall, he has not played all eight games so far. Aaron Jones is on pace to be close to where he was last year, even though he has missed a couple of games. Outside of those two, the Packers have very little explosiveness, which I think is more or less what we thought would be the case for this offense, Uh, but still they could use an additional playmaker, and potentially with Alan Lazard coming back this week, they may be able to get just that. Packers pass rush Overall, uh, the effectiveness is just way down. I won't get into the exact numbers because just reading numbers into a microphone is never super exciting. But the Packers pass rush is down pretty much across the board. Zedaria Smith still having a pretty good year overall, but he is not at the level that he was last year, and just about everybody else is down significantly. Rashawn Gary is up a little bit from where he was last year, but... Um, he still is not making the finishing plays at the at the rate that we'd, you would like to see him. And uh, Preston Smith of the Packers' big three edge rushers uh, just continues to to barely exist functionally, uh, and that is just just too bad. Although he did so show some signs of light uh, in the last couple weeks or so. However, I think there is reason to to be hopeful here. Kenny Clark is clearly. Uh, not back to a hundred percent just yet, and I would be um, not shocked at all for him to continue to dominate in the second half of seasons, as has been sort of his trend over his career to date. So I expect him to come on down the stretch here, and I expect that that Preston Smith will at least level out a little bit. Currently, he is playing well below where he's been in his career to date, and if he even gets back to where he was as a rookie, getting pressure on about eight percent of his rushes, that would still be a big big help for the Packers. Right now, he's only getting pressure on 3.3% of his rushes, according to Sports Information Solutions, and that is way, way down from where he was last year. Last year, is was up over 14%, which is, which is great, but it was never going to be sustainable. Um, he had only approached that number once before in his career. He shouldn't be as bad as he is. I wouldn't expect him to be as good as he was last year, uh, but there is reason to think that that will improve over the rest of the season, just kind of by the law of averages. Another thing that I think is going to even out for the Packers a little bit here is is ball hawks. So these are plays on the ball. Sacks, forced fumbles, passes defensed, and interceptions. These are way down from last year. Way, way, way down. Through eight games in 2019, the Packers had made 74 plays on the ball. In 2020, they have 45 
through eight games, almost 30 fewer. They have a game with zero and a game with just one. Now, some regression, I think, was expected here. This is one of the reasons people thought the Packers defense was going to regress a little bit this year. But I don't think anybody expected quite this much regression. So I expect we'll see something of a correction toward the end of the season here. I don't know if they get close to where they were last year in terms of raw numbers, but I do expect them to have a little bit of a bounce back here down the stretch. Last year, they were getting way more turnovers and sacks and plays on the ball than than you would expect. This year, it's way fewer, and it's really hard to believe either one of those trends is going to hold that firmly two years in a row. Finally, our offensive stats, and this is one that I would recommend you going and taking a look at, especially at thepowersweep.com. It's our uh, penalties and sacks per 65 snaps, and there's a full explanation of how it works there. But the, the bottom line is this, and it is incredible. Every single Packers lineman who qualifies in this stat is better last year or better this year than they were last year. Every single one, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner, and Rick Wagner. Wagner wasn't even on the team, and he's doing better this year than he was last year. Some of these guys are two to three times better than they were last year in terms of giving up negative plays. And some of that is, again, a little bit of a correction. David Bakhtiari had an uncharacteristically bad start to last season, was called for holding all the time. Um, And I think that was because he was dealing with a little bit of a back injury. There was some pushback um, in some sectors of Packers, Packers Internet about that, but he was on the injury report early in the season with a back injury. And I, I just, back injuries don't go away once you're not listed on the injury report. It, I, I think it's fair to say that it affected him for a good portion of last year, but he got very strong down the stretch and finished very well. This is more than a jump from going to, from somewhat healthy to completely healthy. This is something else entirely. And I think there's a couple reasons that the Packers' offensive line is playing so well. First, penalties are way down league-wide. So if your penalties are way down league-wide and you're basing a stat in part around tracking penalties, the stats are going to look better. That seems pretty obvious. But secondly, I think the Packers this year don't really have a weak link on the offensive line. Uh, Everywhere that they've put guys and every guy that they've put into the lineup hasn't blown it up for everybody else. There's never really been a weak spot where guys could just get attacked. And I wonder if last year the Packers' offensive line was weak at right guard. I wonder if Billy Turner was actually playing out of position as a guard instead of as a tackle. Typically, we see the Packers try to move tackles inside and play them at guard when they come from college to the NFL. But I wonder if that doesn't always work. The thinking is that it should. A guy who's a little bit stubby for a tackle, move him inside where length is not as big of an issue. If he's still a good athlete, you should have a good guard in the making. But that may not always be the case. There are some different skills that you need to play guard that you don't have to use it or that that you don't use a tackle and so on. It, It just stands to reason that it wouldn't always work. And maybe Turner is just the exception there. I don't have a, a you know concrete evidence for that. I'm just speculating, but I think that is part of the reason for for the increase there. Let's take a couple of your questions and then we'll get on officially into the second half of the season. James asks, and I really like this question. There's a lot to 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 break down here. He says, per a report from Andrew Brandt, 
Does the Packers' front office now have a better understanding of Will Fuller's contract demands, allowing them to weigh adding him in the offseason versus extending one of their own, like Aaron Jones? Or is it likely, more likely, that not completing a trade means they thought his number for an extension was too too big? And James includes in his questions, question here a tweet from Andrew Brandt, which reads, let's pull it up here for a second, real-time audio production here. The tweet reads, In trade negotiations for a player with an expiring contract like Will Fuller, there is or should be simultaneous contract negotiations with trade contingent upon it. Team has leverage, especially for players wanting out. If not done at the time of the trade, the leverage shifts to the player. So James wants to know, did the Packers just didn't think they could get a a deal done or what? What happened? Um, And I think there's a couple things going on here. First, Getting a look-see is part of every contract negotiation. So I think there is something to the idea of the Packers wanting to know what Fuller's extension ideas were. And that was probably a part of it. They wanted to engage in some some trade talk here just to see what he's looking for. Because if they trade for him, there's a chance that um, they want to extend him. Because obviously they like him as a player and want to keep him around long term. But I don't think it was necessary that the ex- necessarily that the extension number was too big. They probably had a ballpark figure of where they were going to go with him before they even entertained the idea. So I don't think it was necessarily the long-term issues because the Packers' long-term stuff is, is pretty well understood here. They've got a bunch of contracts coming up next year. They're not going to be able to keep everybody. Even if they did feel like Fuller was going to be part of that long-term future, or he was a guy that they would want for that long-term future, that's great. You probably weren't going to be able to keep him anyway. I think they just simply didn't want the rental here. I think they just didn't want to have him for eight games or whatever it was going to be, seven games if he wasn't necessarily ready to go this week or whatever, um, and just said, we're not going to pay a second-round pick for that. Um, and I'm not sure that the Texans are even going to get the compensatory pick that they thought that they could get uh, when Fuller moves on. Uh, but I don't think it was the contract itself that held up the fuller deal here. I think it was just simply that the Packers didn't want to, to rent a player for half a year. Now, just imagine, again, if there was some sort of league-wide meeting every year in the spring where the Packers could have drafted a receiver, oops, did I use the word, uh, acquired a receiver for, say, a comparable cost that you would have had salary control over for a specific amount of time. You know, just a thought. Carl asks, after listening to your latest podcast, and this is a couple episodes ago, and I apologize to Carl, we haven't gotten this question in sooner. After listening to your latest podcast on the loss to the Vikings and how the issues the Packers have are pretty much the same as last year, I started to think a little bit. Last season, that often it often sounded like the Packers can't stop the run and the Packers can't cover tight ends over the middle. The first statement, as we are all brutally aware, is still very much true. But what about the second one? My amateur eye tells me that the Packers haven't conceded too many explosive plays from tight ends. However, it'd be interesting if someone with some better knowledge and access to stats could study this. With seven games played and having faced TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Rudolph twice, uh, Jared Cook, Rob Gronkowski, etc., there might be enough significant data to draw conclusions from. Really like that question, Carl. Thank you for asking. And, and James as well. If you've got a question, the powersweep1959 at gmail.com is the best way that you can uh, get in touch with the show. I uh, find we get the best quality questions via email because uh, people have a little bit of a chance to expand on their thoughts or just hit up the contact page at thepowersweep.com, whatever is most convenient for you. And as I always say, uh, there is no question that is too silly or stupid 
If you feel like you would be dumb for asking it, don't, uh, because asking questions is how we get better. And I will never, never talk down to you for asking a question. So if you if you have a question and you genuinely want to ask it in good faith and really want an answer, I will do my best uh, to give that to you. So Carl's question. I don't know if I can give a scheme-related answer to this, but I think this is more of a, a, a result of situational stuff than a result of any big improvement the Packers have made in covering tight ends. So, so far this year, the Packers functionally have either blown teams out or more or less gotten blown out. They've only had two losses, sure. And the the Vikings game wasn't really a blowout, but the Vikings seemed in control for a lot of that. Anyway, so I think that has led to circumstances where the Packers really haven't had to worry about tight ends all that much. Generally speaking, last year, I think the Packers played a lot of fairly close games or games that were closer than their games have been this year. And that gave teams an an opportunity to kind of use their whole playbook and use every player that they had. When teams have been behind by a whole bunch this year, it really hasn't made a whole lot of sense to get their tight ends involved in the passing game. They need a lot of yards fast. So with that perspective in mind, let's see if it explains what the Packers have done against tight ends so far this year. Kyle Rudolph has never really been a big Packers killer anyway. But the Packers were way ahead before he really had a chance to do any damage in week one, and he just it was not part of their game plan in week two. They didn't have to throw it at all. TJ Hawkinson, kind of same deal. Uh, Packers got way out in the second half, or way out ahead in the second half, and really they didn't need to go to Hawkinson all that much. He still had four catches for 62 yards, though. That is his second-best yardage total of the season. Rob Gronkowski... Packers really didn't slow him down all that much. He didn't have 150 yards, didn't need it. Still had five catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. That's his best game of the season so far. Finally, Jared Cook, the other tight end Carl mentions there, is the one that kind of surprises me. He only had two catches for 21 yards against the Packers. That is his second lowest yardage output of the season. I think this is more a function of Drew Brees not really having the arm strength to attack with a tight end like Jared Cook anymore. You can't really attack the intermediate and deep middle of the field. Against the Packers, it seems like tight end seam routes would just be a killer, and Jared Cook is the kind of tight end who can run it. Breeze just couldn't throw it, and I think the Packers kind of lucked out there a little bit. So um, I think this is more a function of circumstance so far this season as far as the Packers matching up with tight ends, and it's something we should watch down the stretch because there is a good chance the Packers could end up playing teams that are maybe a little bit better equipped to take advantage of their potential weaknesses against tight ends this season. Finally, Patrick asks via Patreon, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the team's plan for Devin Funches. Do you think he will play for the Packers next season? If so, do you think his impending arrival is impacting the front office's approach to offensive personnel this season? I feel he is overlooked in most conversations regarding the future of the Packers wide receiver core. Good question, and again, if you want to ask questions, Patreon is another outlet for you to do that. So let's answer the second question first. I don't think Funches is really affecting what the Packers want to do this year. If the Packers were going to trade for somebody like like uh, Will Fuller, I don't think Devin Funches factors into that all that much because the, the Fuller situation would have been a half-year situation anyway. So I don't think that affects what they're doing with Devin Funches. The other big question 
or the other big part of that is that Funches really doesn't count all that much against the Packers cap this year or next. Well, this year he doesn't count anything because he's he's opted out. But next year is only a cap hit of around $2.3 million. So not a big commitment. Um, that's that's In the grand scheme of things, not a, uh, not a whole lot of your cap devoted to Devin Funches. So I think the bigger question here is, as Patrick leads off with, what do you think the Packers do for next season? So I think ultimately this boils down to how the Packers handle their non-Adams wide receivers as a whole. As a quick recap, those non-Adams wide receivers, starting with Funchess, goes like this. Funchess will be 28, and he's going to count about $2.3 million against the cap. Alan uh, Alan Lazard is going to be 25. He'll be an exclusive rights free agent next spring, probably in the half million to $750,000 range. Not too bad. Marquez Valdez-Scantling will be 26, heading into the final year of his rookie deal, which will pay him $900,000. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown is going to be 24 next year. He'll count $879,000 against the cap. And just for comparison, as the Packers are making their plans for next offseason, Chase Claypool, a wide receiver who was taken with the 49th overall pick this spring, is counting $1.2 million against the cap for the Steelers this year. So that's probably about the low end of early impact receiver type draft pick money. And as you make your money takes, factor that in. I know that's kind of assuming that they'll take a guy early next year, which was a dumb thing to think coming into the draft or coming out of the draft apparently, but can't help myself a little bit. Sooner or later, they got to pick a receiver just almost by the law of averages. So keeping Devin Funches, the pros here. I'm probably higher on Devin Funches than most. I like that he's got an athletic profile similar to Alan Lazard. It's never a bad thing. Big-bodied receiver who has the speed to get vertical and, again, the size to overwhelm smaller defenders. And I would assume in Matt LaFleur's offense, he's going to do Alan Lazard-type things. That's a guy I want on my team. Right now, he's probably their number two receiver with Lazard out of the lineup. If he was healthy, if everybody was healthy, he's probably no lower than number three. And ideally, that lets... MVS and Equinemius St. Brown play the number four role, and that would be great this year because I'd rather have either of them doing that than Malik Taylor or Darius Shepard. So that's kind of the pro side. The con side is that you could have more options for basically the same price. So if Chase Claypool at $1.2 million against the cap is kind of the low end, you might be able to add you know, somebody in the 20 to 30 range in the draft for a little bit more than that and have kind of a more cost-effective cap situation than you're getting with Funches because Funches is going to be a free agent after next year anyway. That complicates things on the Packers side of the side of the, the ledger. Bottom line, I wouldn't assume he's a big part of the plan, but he's cheap enough that he's probably not entirely out of the running either. They may be happy enough with Alan Lazard and hypothetical draft pick X that they just say, you know what, Devin, it didn't work out. We've got everything that we wanted from you, from Alan Lazard, and uh, we're just going to move forward from there. But still, there is the aspect that's kind of like a bonus lottery pick. It might be a little bit more than you normally spend, but the floor is probably higher on the payoff. He's a bit more of a known commodity, even coming out of a year out of football. I think he's probably on the roster in training camp next year, barring 
a cap-related release. All things being equal, I think it's a no-brainer, but if they got to save a couple million against the cap, it's probably not a big loss either. We'll see how the cap shakes out. I'm not... I know all the projections say it's going to be $175 million. Let's wait and see on that for sure. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. We will be back Friday with a preview of the Packers-Jaguars matchup this weekend. Uh, Josh Jackson or Josh Jones revenge game maybe for the Jaguars. Alan Lazard revenge game for the Packers. It's going to be a wild time as we start the second half of the Packers season. If you enjoyed the show, you know somebody else you think would enjoy it, do me a favor and share it with them. That's going to help us continue to grow this conversation around the Packers and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because that's the goal, isn't it? As I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58. Coming out of a year out of football, I think he's probably on the roster in training camp next year, barring a cap-related release. All things being equal, I think it's a no-brainer, but if they got to save a couple million against the cap, it's probably not a big loss either. We'll see how the cap shakes out. I'm not, I know all the projections say it's going to be $175 million. Let's wait and see on that for sure. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. We will be back Friday with a preview of the Packers-Jaguars matchup this weekend. Uh, Josh Jackson or Josh Jones revenge game maybe for the Jaguars. Alan Lazard revenge game for the Packers. It's going to be a wild time as we start the second half of the Packers season. If you enjoyed the show, you know somebody else you think would enjoy it, do me a favor and share it with them. That's going to help us continue to grow this conversation around the Packers and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because that's the goal, isn't it? As I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.